I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Foo followers around the world. Welcome to episode 30 of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. My name is Ben Johnson. Thank you for stopping by. Remember, if you like this podcast, then please leave us a star rating or write a little review. This will help to promote the show within your podcast provider and hopefully attract even more Foo followers. As always, remember to keep it locked to our regular KFMG Pod social media channels for all the latest martial arts movie news. We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And you can always contact the show if you have any questions or just want to share some news. The email address is hello at kungfumovieguide.com. Okay, that's the business bit over. We have an action-packed double bill for you on today's show. So, without any further ado, here we go. Well, if you're really so determined to have a fight, then I'll oblige. Yes, yes, yes. Foo followers around the world, thank you so much for dropping by, for tuning in to the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. I hope you're doing well, wherever you are in the world, listening to this. Thank you for stopping by. Listen, we've got an action-packed show today with not one, but two guests. Coming up in a bit, I speak to the living legend that is Bob Wall. Incredible, I know. Uh, Bob Wall, of course close training partner and buddy with Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. He, of course, works with Bruce Lee on a couple of his movies. He was in The Way of the Dragon, uh, and he was also, of course, in Enter the Dragon, only the best martial arts movie ever made. He played O'Hara in Enter the Dragon. So I'm not going to lie, this was a very exciting day for me, being able to speak to uh, Bob Wall and just generally being able to speak to someone who knew Bruce Lee so well. So that is coming up in a moment on the show. I also called up my friend Timon Singh. He has just published his first book. It's called Born to be Bad, Talking to the Greatest Villains in Action Cinema. The book came out a couple of weeks back and it features fascinating interviews with some of the unsung heroes from classic action movies. The book is a real treat. Uh, It's not just martial arts movies, although having said that, there are some great conversations in there with some famous baddies from classic martial arts films. People like Martin Cove from The Karate Kid is in there. Benny Akides, Benny the Jet, Al Leong, who's been in so many action movies over the years, and also Bob Wall is in the book. It's a real great book, and we are currently doing a competition through our newsletter in which you can win a copy of Born to be Bad. All you have to do is sign up to our newsletter by going to kungfumovieguide.com. You'll be prompted for your email address. Just simply type in your email address and then remember to go into your inbox to validate the email uh, and then we can sort out the rest. So if you want to get your hands on a copy of Ty's new book, Born to be Bad, then 
that's what you need to do. Sign up to the newsletter, kungfumovieguide.com. The competition will close on the 26th of August, so sign up now and best of luck. It's a real jam-packed show today, so I'm not going to go on for too long in the intro. However, I did just want to say thank you so much for all your comments uh, off the back of my chat in the previous episode with Joey Answer. Also, I got a message sent to me over Twitter, which I wanted to throw out to the Foo followers out there, just because I've been racking my brains over this one since uh, the message came in. This message has come in from Phil Ferguson. Phil, thank you so much for getting in touch. It reads... Guys, I really need your help. I'm trying to find a kung fu movie I saw when I was a kid. It had a training sequence that had a metal torso with slots. Metal balls would fall down the slots and the master would have to catch them all before they hit the ground. I can't seem to find this movie. Any help would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. Now, I do get a lot of emails like this and a lot of them, to be honest, I just I don't know the answers. But I have definitely seen this movie that Phil's talking about. The first time I read it, I thought it was from Warriors 2. uh, But then I went back and watched Warriors 2 and it's definitely not that. So anyway, look, it's driving me mad. So if anyone out there, any one of you dedicated Foo followers has any idea what movie that might be, if you can put both myself and Phil out of our misery, then that would be much appreciated. The email address to send any suggestions to is hello at kungfumovieguide.com. And you can also drop me a note on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. So, Timon Singh, his new book is called Born to be Bad. As I said, we're giving away some copies in this month's newsletter, so do sign up for that to get your hands on a free copy. Ty is a huge martial arts and action movie fan. He's a massive movie fan in general, and he is the founder of the Bristol Bad Film Club here in the UK. You can check out all the great work that he does there at bristolbadfilmclub.co.uk and they are also on Twitter. The Twitter handle is at the other BBFC. Ty is about to go to Hollywood. He's working on a documentary uh, in which he's writing and producing. This is all about classic action movies and that is called In Search of the Last Action Heroes and that looks like a very exciting project indeed. His book is out now. It is available on Amazon, on hardback, paperback and Kindle. So here we go then. Here is my conversation with Timon Singh. The actual idea for the book, I mean, is this, was this something that you'd been thinking about for a while, putting a, putting a book together? I'd been thinking about writing a book for a while, um, but I hadn't found the exact subject or the way that I wanted to write it. Yeah. And then I was at a special uh, anniversary screening of Robocop yes. last year. And obviously that has so many uh, actors playing memorable bad guys, but they're actors that you wouldn't necessarily uh, think to cast in those roles, like Kurtwood Smith and Ronnie Cox and Paul McCrane hadn't really played uh, bad guys, and they're not really the bad guys you would imagine seeing in those roles or those actors that you would see in those roles. So after the film, I mean, I'd, I'd seen the film so many times, but I was just cycling home. And it just, I just started thinking about how did those actors get cast? What was it like on set? Um, after that, did, did those actors kind of get typecast in those roles? Or was it for them just, you know, fun doing something different? And within 48 hours, I'd written a book proposal, sent it out to publishers, and I'd already got an interview booked in with Vernon Wells from Commando and Mad Max 2. So Amazing. once I had the idea, I moved 
pretty quickly. The baddies are always so exaggerated, but they're also the best parts in the in the film sometimes, aren't they? Yeah, I always found that, I mean, to have a really great hero, you need a villain that he can outwit and best. Yeah. And so I often find that the villain is the best part of the movie. I mean, we all love Arnie, we all love Sly, we all love Jackie Chan, but the reasons why we go see those films are very different. I mean, often we go see a Jackie Chan film for the stunts, and we often go see Arnie for Arnie. But when you're kind of pitching who they're going up against, uh, you've either got to go with like a physical challenge, someone who's big and brawny and can beat these people in a fight, or you've got to go the other way, the really cultured and refined, polished actor yeah. who's just going to you know, outwit them in terms of just sheer charm and charisma, like like your Alan Rickmans yeah. or your, your David Warners or, you know, so many British actors over the years have played, you know, great bad guys. Who was your sort of favourite interview, would you say? Because we should say, how many interviews are there? There's, there's a good, was it 30-odd, maybe? Yeah, I'd say close to 30, yeah. maybe over. Um, so, I mean, this is the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. Yeah. So, I mean... Obviously, I wanted to speak to someone who had fought Jackie Chan. Yeah. And in that regard, getting Benny the Jet Okides was amazing because not only did he fight Jackie in um, Wheels on Meals and Dragons Forever, but he trained all the actors in Stephen E. D'Souza's Street Fighter films, so in their different forms of combat. I should mention that Stephen E. D'Souza uh, wrote the introduction for my book. Yeah, but, that's awesome. But Benny the Jet Okides, I thought he would have loads of stories, and the man did not disappoint. <laughs> he is an anecdote machine. Yeah. He just started talking, and within the first two minutes he was like have you ever heard about how i ended up in a real life kumite <laughs> i love and that I was, story that's hilarious and also quite frightening <laughs> it's quite frightening and without wanting to like you know tell the story verbatim it the man the man's account of what happened is incredible we need to mention bob wall of course how did your chat with bob go bob you know, like his characters in Bruce Lee films, does not pull any punches yeah. in his opinions or or his exploits. What's clear is that he, him and Bruce Lee had a, a deep friendship, and he, to this day, I think Chuck Norris is one of his best friends, mm. but he is not someone that I would want to mess around with no. at all. Um, but I presented a, a 45th anniversary screening event of The Dragon. You did. Um, last month and Bob Wall was kind enough to send in a little uh, intro video for our screening so lovely there's also like paying dues to a lot of people who in so many films that have been typecast did you notice that in a lot of the people you spoke to were they a little bit frustrated that you know they were only being offered the baddie roles yeah so I think um, everyone had a different story and you know some actors found that they did get stereotyped others found that it was just like a blip in their career but two that really stood out was um paul freeman so he's a british actor that most of you will know is playing belloc in raids of the lost ark yeah he said after raids of the lost ark he was just cast constantly in german roles playing nazis mm. even though in raids of the lost ark he's not even playing a nazi he's playing a french archaeologist yeah. but he said for a while he had to turn down those roles um and Andreas uh, Vinusky, who played uh, the big Russian hitman Necros in the Bond film The Living Daylights, and he also plays Carl's brother Tony in Die Hard. Yeah. He 
basically he was expecting a lot more opportunities after the success of those films but they never really happened he was uh, on the other side of the coin he said he was expecting to be offered loads of roles playing nazis yeah. <laughs> um, but that never happened for him and he was kind of surprised so why do you think we like the villains so much i think the villains get to do things that our heroes would never do and that gives them more of an edge um, they're allowed to be more flamboyant. They're allowed to be more outrageous and ruthless and chew the scenery more. Whereas from our heroes, we expect a little bit more discipline yeah. and and resolve. And therefore, the actors that play the villains can essentially just dial it up to 11 yeah. and do whatever they want and allow themselves to stand out in a way that maybe the leading man can't. Um, I mean, that's not always the case, but I mean, when you're going up against an actor like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you need to make yourself stand out yeah. because when you're going up against a man who's 250 pounds and six foot four, you're going to need to stand out on the screen in a whole other way unless you can, you know, outdo him physically. I guess these guys, you know, Stallone's and Schwarzenegger's, Van Damme's, they're kind of brands in themselves, aren't they? You're, you're right. They've got, I guess they're so honed in on their their own fan base they can't really deviate too far away from that can they whereas you know if you get cast as the villain in those uh, types of films then you've got sort of free reign exactly i think some of them are very protective of their brand like jackie has never played a villain and i think you know over the years people have tried to cast him i think he was almost cast as like the simon phoenix role in demolition man but he turned it down because that's just not what the Jackie Chan brand is. That's not why people go see his films. And I think that was also very refreshing about talking to some of these actors because with bigger actors, they're very protective of their PR image, yeah. how people see them. But the actors I was speaking to, they don't have those concerns and therefore they were much more willing just to open up about the whole experience. I saw on Twitter, I think you're flying out to Los Angeles soon. You're filming interviews for, for, this, for a documentary. That's right. So I'm a writer-producer on um, Oliver Harper's feature-length documentary In Search of the Last Action Heroes. So Oliver is a, uh, a very well-respected YouTube film critic, and he does retrospectives on 80s action films, and this is his first feature-length project. And they were looking for like a researcher to help Ollie with his interviews. And because of my book, it meant that I had some contacts. So... Uh, I've spent the past month and a half reaching out to various actors, um, film writers, directors, um, and we're you know we're going to be talking to a whole bunch of people about how action evolved from seventies action films into like the the big budget R rated spectaculars of the eighties, and how it peaked with films like Total Recall at the beginning of the nineties, where it's like a hundred million dollar film that's an eighteen certificate. Yeah, you just don't get films like that anymore. Yeah. And, you know, what led to the decline of those kind of films and, you know, the resurgence we have in that kind of period of action films today with, you know, series like The Expendables. So I'm going out to L.A. in October to do a whole bunch of interviews um, with with loads of great names that we've got attached. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Ty, that's amazing. Best of luck with with that. And, obviously... Best of luck with uh, with the book. Thank you so much for your for your time. Oh, my pleasure, Ben. Keep up the good work. What his name be praised? Tai Singh there. Great to talk to him. Really great to catch up. Always good to 
chat to Ty. We did actually chat for a lot longer than that, but... Um, you know, we couldn't uh, fit all of it on, unfortunately. But anyway, you can keep up to date with all of Ty's many adventures by following him on Twitter. He is at Timon Singh, and we wish him all the best, of course, for all of those many new projects that he's got on the horizon. So, Bob Wall. Um, OK, so where to start with this? Um I should say, actually, it was Ty who gave me the idea to contact Bob in the first place, um, and I sort of fired off uh, an email to him, and I wasn't holding out too much hope, to be honest, but um, it, it all happened very quickly. He responded to me within 24 hours, I think, of sending the email, and before I knew it, we'd set up a call and we were having a chat, so that was a, a really wonderful thing. Listen, Bob, by his own admission, describes himself as a foul-mouthed Irishman. Uh, he is is 78 years young. He turns 79 on the 22nd of August. Bob has trained with the likes of Judo Jean LaBelle, Chuck Norris, Joe Lewis, and of course Bruce Lee. He's taught Freddie Prince, Paul Newman, Steve McQueen, Elvis Presley, Priscilla Presley. The list goes on and on and on. He is a former world professional karate champion, and he's still very much involved in the martial arts. He is the founder of the martial arts organization World Black Bouts. You can check out the work that he does there at worldblackbout.com. Bob is actually now a really big real estate guy in California, although, to be fair, he's always been focused on his uh, business pursuits, uh, even back in the 1960s and 70s when he was training with Bruce Lee. He turned his back on a movie career when Bruce died in 1973, and he's only appeared in small roles since then, probably most notably in the 1978 version of Game of Death, directed by Robert Klaus. And he has cropped up in a few Chuck Norris movies since then as well. He's still very close with Chuck. Uh, they're really uh, good buddies, so that is really nice. Bob can still be found touring the world. He does a lot of seminars. He appears at Bruce Lee and martial arts events all over the world, doing autographs and meeting the fans and that kind of thing. So it was a real treat to be able to do this, and I'm very honoured to be able to share this interview with you, the loyal uh, Foo follower, wherever you are. First of all, I want to say apologies for any bad language. Uh, if that bothers you, then you've been warned about that. And also, I just wanted to apologise for the quality of the line. It's not a brilliant uh, line, this one. I did try to clean it up uh, as best as I could in the edit, but it still does dip in and out at some stages. So uh, I hope that doesn't bother you too much. So here we go then. Here is my conversation with O'Hara himself, the legend that is Bob Wall. Nineteen sixty-eight. I took my wife on a six-week honeymoon, and the first country we went to was England. Oh wow! On the second street, I run into Walls ice cream. I go, oh my God, this is the best ice cream on earth. I, I call my mom. And, you know, our family goes back to Winston Churchill. Wow. And Betsy Ross in America. Yeah. So I called her. I said, are these the same? part of our family? She said, absolutely. So anyway, we called them. They were super nice. Took us around a tour of the, of the farms and, and their ice cream operation and so on. And it was amazing. Wow. That's amazing. Does are you entitled to any of the uh, <laughs> any of the profits? <laughs> uh, no, no. But I think they wish they were entitled to some of my profits. So yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, 
That's great. Yeah, I was going to ask if you've been over to the UK at all. You must have. You, you've travelled quite a bit. Have you Have you been over here at all? Well, you know what's funny? I've been to 103 countries doing Bruce Lee seminars and so forth, but I've never been back to England, which is part of my birthright. You know, it's part of my heritage. Yeah. I'm Irish and English. My dad was half English and half Irish. My mom is three quarters Irish. So. Wow, I read that somewhere that you had uh, you had Irish uh, blood in the family. You're not tempted to go back there, to over to Ireland then, and to sort of um, you know have a have a look around there, see if there's any ancestors. <laughs> What's funny, Ben, is when I when we got married, uh, the the Protestants and the Catholics, and my wife and I are Catholic. They were killing each other right and left, and blowing each other up, and I just didn't want to take my new wife to Ireland to yeah. take the risk. Yeah. So we went to a twelve countries. But no, we went the other way. We went back to France, went up to Calais, and took a train into Paris, and we had a fabulous time. But yeah, yeah. I've never been to Ireland. It breaks my heart. I would love to have somebody, you know, hire me to come over there. But uh, someday, somebody in Ireland or England will figure it out and uh, invite me over, and they'll make a bunch of money along with me. Yeah, uh, I've done many, many, many countries. I've done Spain. I've done so many countries. Yeah. But never England or Ireland. It's very funny. You're coming up to 80 now, Bob. Is that right? No, I'm 78. 78. Chuck, Chuck Norris and I, I'm six months older. His birthday's March 10th, yeah. 1940. My birthday's 8-22-39. So in August, I'll be 79. Wow. And I do the splits, and I have a resting heart rate of uh, 52, and I'm married 49 years. That's so beautiful. Doctor That's... said my vision's 110. Yeah. 2010, rather. So the doctor always goes, wow, you're not only our wealthiest, healthiest client, yeah. you're absolutely in the best shape of all of them at any age. Amazing. What do you put that down to, Bob? Of course, what's funny, Ben, Yeah. I didn't drink a drop till I was 23 because my dad, like Chuck Norris's dad, like a lot of great martial artist dads, are alcoholics. But anyway, I left home at 13 with $2.58 in my pocket. By the time I was 25, I was worth $2 million. And trust me, at 78, I'm worth a lot more millions. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and of course, we're both probably the two wealthiest people in martial arts because we're honest. We don't lie, cheat, or steal. But I, Chuck and I did not drink a drop till we were 23 because of our fathers. But I've limited myself my entire life to a maximum of three drinks. Mm. But I don't live by anybody else's standards. I'm a Christian. I'm a foul-mouthed Irishman. Yeah. I don't punch anybody anymore because I hit harder than anybody on the planet mm. bar now. You came from a background which was very sort of full contact and it was self-defense and that's what you were preaching and nowadays where you see you know the UFC and the mixed martial arts stuff I mean are you do you watch that stuff Bob and do you think if you were young younger now and you were getting into the martial arts that's what you would be doing? Yes and the sad part is that I'm the fifth black belt in 1959 of the world's toughest man, Jean LaBelle. Yeah. Who's two-time national judo champion, uh, created MMA. In yeah. 1962, he, he put, rendered unconscious for 20 minutes a guy named Milo Savage, who was a boxer. And when I made black belt in 1957 in judo, I, I came from a wrestling scholarship. I got my butt kicked for two years thoroughly, okay? Then I came to San Jose State with a scholarship in wrestling. Then I got my butt kicked thoroughly for a year and then made black belt. I have a long history of having my ass kicked, right? <laughs> Nobody gets great 
if they don't get their ass kicked. Yeah. And there's a lot of famous people, including Joe Lewis, who I was his first black belt, and he kept harassing me about why I was that grappling and grappling. I said, you know, Joe, you've done the same thing for 40 years. I've done everything different. I mm -hmm. wrestled, boxed, tie box. General Che, who founded Taekwondo, promoted Chuck and I to eighth degree black belt. I got black belts from Risei Kano, Jugo Kano's son, the founder of judo. Yeah. Second black belt was Gene LaBelle, the world's toughest man at 84. Nobody. And I'm here to say, bring it on. Bring 100,000 if you can beat an 84-year-old man. <laughs> I'm sixth Don in judo. Uh, I boxed. I tie boxed for five years. I've done it all, Benjamin. Yeah, yeah. After going through that process and learning so many different disciplines, is there an ultimate uh, style, do you think? No, I, I respect all styles. I think all styles are great. I think the difference is the teacher, yeah. all right? But all styles, from kung fu to Thai boxing to karate to judo, to re they're all great. They're all excellent. And they're all people of excellence who try to make it better. But the reality is, if you only study one system your whole life, you're limiting yourself. So I tried everything. And one of the greatest partners anybody ever had on earth was Chuck Norris, which yeah. we've been since 54 years. And he's amazing. And he always said, Bob, you want to try everything. You want to study everything. And prior to that, Gene LaBelle said, Bob, go study everything. Mm -hmm. Everything has goodness in it. But it's not the system, it's the teacher. Bruce Lee was advocating that, wasn't he, even back in the in the 60s? I mean, he was quite sort of vocal about if a particular, you know, moving uh, karate doesn't work there, then why not ad adapt, you know, some elements to street fighting or whatever? Like, he was advocating that as well, wasn't he? Yeah, Bruce was a genius like Chuck Norris, like Gene LaBelle. These are three martial arts geniuses. Yeah. They trained under geniuses. And so if you want to be the best, you got to go train with the best. I, I got blessed, you know, because I left home at 13. I had an abusive alcoholic father. Therefore, I decided to never abuse. I've never even done an aspirin. I don't, I'm an anti-drug guy. My mom told me I had the greatest mother in the world. And she died at 99 a couple of years ago. But when I was a little kid, I was seven. She said, Bobby, I want you to hate everybody. And I, I went, Mom, I don't want to hate everybody. Yeah, I want you to hate everybody who chose their parents. Well, Mom, you can't choose your parents. That's right, son. Don't forget it. You are God's gift to you. Now, what you do with you is your gift to God. So I was blessed. And I had an alcoholic father, which is great because he challenged me. He stuck hay hooks in my arm, stabbed me to a tree with a hay hook, stabbed me to a post with a screwdriver, which I still have the scars of, hit me in the face when I was a, with a hammer when I was 12. And so I thought I was, you know, a, a challenge kid. But I, I rode 168 miles at 13, went to an uncle's, one of my father's older brother, started washing cars for him. He was quite successful. And by the time I was 25, that's when I was 13 in 1952, I was worth a couple mil because I'm a money machine. Yeah. But my mom always said, train with the best. So I only trained with the best. So I made Bruce Lee in 1963, and he became one of the best. But in my opinion, in 1963, he wasn't one of the best. <laughs> Oh, <laughs>
you were similar in age when you you met, weren't you? So yeah. can you remember that first meeting with him then? Absolutely. Chinese restaurant because of Gene LaBelle. And yes. I met this guy, a great martial artist, uh, an Okinawan martial artist named Bob Osman. Bob and I went down to a Kung Fu demonstration because Gene LaBelle said, go watch everybody, train with everybody. And so it was a restaurant in, in, in uh, L.A., and Bruce, it was just one week after Bruce had beat up Longman Jack. Yeah. Would now like to change the history. I understand he came up with a movie where he got a draw. He got his ass kicked. He got yeah. his ass kicked thoroughly. He punked out. Because I talked to Bruce Lee, I talked to Linda Lee, and five of the people who were there. And not only did you get your ass kicked, you chicken shit it out. You rolled up in a little ball. And here's what's even worse. He brought some friends with him. Now, if you're going to go challenge a Bruce Lee, why do you need friends? You're going to come sure. with a scroll. He tried to do this bullshit trip. And Bruce just said, put the scroll down and let's go. And he kicked his ass. So he tried to change history. I understand. It's embarrassing to get your ass kicked. But he should wake up and realize everybody good, everybody great gets their ass kicked. But then they learn how to not get their ass kicked. But anyway, so I go to this Kung Fu demonstration in Chinatown, and this Kung Fu guy was, in, in those days, in the 50s and the 60s, if you were Judo and I was Taekwondo, and everybody had the nasty say, oh, our system's the best. Okay. Yeah. It's all lead up to the MMA today. But anyway, Gene LaBelle, the greatest, toughest martial artist on the planet, the only man alive to pin a bear, yeah. amazing martial artist, were there watching, and there was about, I don't know, 100, 200 Chinese in this restaurant, and this deadly kung fu master, and there were six guaylo, uh, foreign devils. Yeah. And and I was one of the six with Bob Osman. And so this kung fu guy said, oh, I see we have karate people here. I guess he assumed because we're not Asian, we must be karate. But anyway, he said, I invite any of you to come up and hit me as hard as you want. Well, three guys went up on the stage. And now it's not hit me as hard as you want in a real fight. He puts his arm out. He's going to let him hit his arm. So in those days, he did a lot of what they call, you know, horse stance, which is horse hogwash. But they did it. And so they shoot hoed him, which is kind of a, a karate chop, if you will, yeah. to the arm. And, of course, it doesn't hurt. And then he says, all right, I'll break your arm, put your arm out. Well, they didn't sign up for a broken arm, so they left. So I'm looking at this clown, I'm going, you know, hey, you can hit my arm. Go ahead and break my arm. So I went out, and he was pretty clever. He took his two forefingers, and he starts slapping my wrist. Bapity, 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 bap. And I kept saying, well, I can't feel it. And when are you going to break my arm? Break my arm. So I am a sadist, and yeah. I am a retired cop. But anyway, the guy's a punk. He's being nasty. So after about 8, 9, 10, 12, 15, 20 slaps, little welt on my wrist, and I'm going, yeah, pretty good. It's pretty hard. So I slapped him once with my right arm, and he spun around, fell down, and pretended he was unconscious. And then I realized I still had my scotch and soda in my left hand. And I looked at the crowd, and today I could do five hours of humor. But then I didn't have a joke, one, and I'm going, oh, man, I'm about to be killed. So I walked off quickly to Bob Osman, and Bob was ready to teach, said, let's get out of here quick. They're going to kill us. So we started heading for the door, and I'm looking around left, right, my paranoid stance, and, and uh, this guy, tough-looking guy, 
walks up, sticks his hand out, and he says, hey, I'm Bruce Lee. That was so funny. You're as cocky as me. That's how I met Bruce Lee. <laughs> he, know, he found a kindred spirit there then. Well, he said he wanted to do the same thing I did, except that he was a Kung Fu guy, and he kept saying yeah. Kung Fu. Now, what did you know, Bob, about Kung Fu at that stage? Did it seem quite exotic uh, at that time? No. The bottom line is that Teddy Roosevelt, our American president, who wound up being a black belt in judo, really brought judo to the United States. Within ethnic communities, the Chinese had Kung Fu, the Japanese had karate, and so on and so forth, but it was kept within ethnic communities. But because the president studied judo, that made it spread. At that point, I had not studied Kung Fu. But remember what Jean LaBelle told me, my second black belt, 1959, he said, study everything. Yes. So now I meet Bruce, and now I, we studied together, and he was brilliant at what he did. But in my humble opinion, he was relatively limited in his skill set. The mm. stuff he got from Yip Man. Very limited. A lot of people, when they refer to Bruce Lee, as they think of him as the best sort of studier of martial arts. But whether he was a great martial arts fighter is hard to tell because he wasn't. He didn't compete. He did, it wasn't as if he had a lot of world titles or anything like that. And he, he very much came from a different background. There. What's your What's your thinking around that? On that point, Bruce had no world titles except one from the greatest martial arts on earth. Bruce Lee was the world's greatest film fighter. Yeah. He was a serious street fighter, but he never did MMA. He never did kickboxing, uh, blah, blah, blah. Look, there's lots of different kind of fighting. MMA is totally different than point fighting, and point fighting is different than film fighting, and film fighting is different than street fighting, and on and on and on and on. So certain people have skills in certain sets. But in my opinion, my humble opinion, nobody yet, 44 years after the master's death, has ever even come close to being as great as Bruce Lee, the greatest film fighter of all time. Was he a tough guy? you darn right. Trained with Gina Bell, Chuck Norris, and me, and Joe Lewis. He trained with some of the best ever. Did he learn techniques from us? You betcha. Did we learn techniques from him? You betcha. He taught Chuck and I particularly film fighting. Yeah. The string, you know, being able to, to relax the opposite of real fighting where you never show anybody you hurt but you had to relax your neck and your shoulders and you had to get the angle correct and you had to relax your neck and your shoulders and your body and you had to show the pain and show the impact that's not what you do in real fighting bruce lee was a genius at and he trained chuck and i in that but yeah you can't be next to a master of anything i don't care if it's painting or computer and not learn something from them if you do what my mother said. God gave you two ears and one mouth because he wanted you to listen twice as much as you speak. Yeah. Listen. So my blessing was that I got to know the young Bruce Lee. He was one year younger than me to answer your question. He died at 32. I was 33 when he died. Yeah. Uh, he was like Chuck Norris, born in 1940. But he was a great man. I loved the man. He was funny. He was brilliant. He was well-read. He married the best wife on earth for him, Linda Lee. She was a great wife for Bruce Lee. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. You would go and visit them and train with Chuck Norris. I know Mike Stone, Joe Lewis, you were all sort of buddies. You must have very fond memories of, of that time, Bob. Is that is, is that fair to say? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Chuck Norris and Mike Stone and Joe Lewis were the top three fighters of their era. Yeah. But Mike Stone, who'd won everything, but he only competed in 12 tournaments. Mm. So it's a relatively short career. and uh, But he was the champion, right? And then after them came along Chuck Norris and Joe Lewis. Well, they all kind of resented each other. They were not friends. They were all friends of mine. So I'd go to Mike Stone, and I knew him, and I said, Mike, that Joe Lewis thinks you're the greatest. He does? Yeah. Then I go to Joe Lewis. I said, that Mike Stone thinks you're the greatest. I go to Chuck Norris. Yeah, that Mike Stone thinks you're the greatest. Oh, that Chuck Norris thinks you're... And so forth. I got them to be friends. You understand? Yeah. Because I took away the bullshit because they were all friends of mine. So the fact is Mike Stone trained with Bruce after, way after he was world champion. Yeah. Norris trained with Bruce Lee and Joe Lewis with Bruce Lee after they were world champions. Yeah. Bruce had certain skill sets that others didn't have. He was brilliant. He challenged those who were stuck in the norm. Yeah, did you not find that slightly offensive at the time? Or were you all just like, yeah, he's got a point, he's, he's absolutely right? Well, first of all, his predecessor, the world's toughest man, Gene LaBelle, said the same thing way earlier. Yeah. The difference is they were both smart, brilliant people who called it as it was. So Bruce just came along a little after Gene. Remember, Gene made black by the time he was 14. Wow. When he met Bruce Lee, he was way into his 50s. Yeah. So the bottom line is, no, I did not find it offensive. I found that exciting. He was saying how it was. Yeah. He was saying how it was not. And because of Gene LaBelle and Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris and Mike Stone and a few others, there became MMA. Joe Lewis, I, I love Joe. He was my first partner. He was the first world heavyweight kickboxing champion. Handsome dude. I mean, six feet tall. Yeah. When I met him, he was 235. He was the first world kickboxing champion. He created kickboxing in America. Yeah. And the guy was just clean as a bean and healthy and everything. But then he got into the movie business. And after we were partners, when Chuck Norris bought him out, I bought a, a school in Sherman Oaks. And I gave Joe half of it because he was from the Marine Corps. He didn't have $5. And I was already wealthy. So I gave him half of the school. And then a couple of years later, you know, he'd break 20 noses. I'd enroll 20 students. I'd enroll 20 more. He'd break 20. My Joe, they don't come here to be hurt. They come here to learn how not to be hurt. Yeah. 
I said, give you the school. I'm out of here. Oh, no, no, no. I, without you, I don't want to be here. Okay. So I went to Chuck Norris and I said, I want to sell the school. He said, I want you. I don't care about the school. We became partners. Yeah. So that's in the 60s. That's sort of 67, 68, is it? You and Chuck Norris go into business together. You open up a string of uh, martial arts school. This is in California. Yeah, yeah. 1966 yeah. when Chuck bought out Joe Lewis. Yeah. And we ended up building the largest chain of martial arts schools in the world. Yeah. I don't think anybody's done it today. 182 schools. Wow. I got the best partner on the planet. And Joe was great. I love Joe. He was a great fighter, but he couldn't quite get his personal life together. But Chuck Norris always had it together. Yeah. He's a true Christian. His word is gold. He's an amazing man. Yeah. Do you still see him, Bob? Do you see him often? Absolutely. Not yeah. often enough, because now he moved to Navasota, Texas. But I'd love to see him every day like we used to for years. But yeah. yeah. I yeah. just uh, we just came back from June Ree's funeral. Another great martial artist who yeah started. we lost we lost June Ree. I know that's sad, isn't it? Oh, you know that's beyond sad. Eighty six years old. I used to love it when he came to my house, but I loved it more when he left because that sucker would want to do a thousand push ups yeah. instead of. My wife says you're happier when you leave. And, yeah, I don't want to do a thousand push ups instead yeah. of. But he was an amazing guy. Philosoph philosophically, technique. I introduced him to Bruce Lee, and they became real close. Yeah. And I was there when Bruce sidekicked him over in a couch in his house in Virginia. And then and then Julie got up and kicked Bruce in the head with a round kick. It was so funny. Yeah. But they were buddies. They connected on an Asian level, Korean and Chinese. Yeah. But they were fellow martial artists. And Linda was back. Linda Lee, of course, my love and adore, Bruce's great wife, was there. And I got to introduce him to Chuck and Gina Norris, which was fun for me because all these years they didn't know each other. But yeah, I was very sad. There was, I'm telling you, it had to be over 3,000 people. Everybody, virtually, was anybody in martial arts history in America was there because of the respect they had for June Ree. I mean, Jeff Smith, light heavy world champ, Joe Corley, who fought uh, Bill Wallace nine rounds. Everybody who was anybody was there out of one word, Ben, respect. Yeah. And Bruce, he couldn't show up, but his widow did. Yeah. Show respect to June Ree, one of the greatest martial artists of this country, just like Bruce Lee, his buddy. Yeah. But June Ree is always, and because he's credited as sort of, uh, you, you know, being the voice and helping to popularize Taekwondo within America. But in the 60s, like you and Chuck Norris, what you were doing in opening your schools and making karate more accessible, it seems like you were on a similar wavelength in making it accessible for ordinary people to go along and do this. Do you do you agree with that? Or am I, am I elevating that somewhat? What do you no, think, you're, Bob? You're, you're absolutely correct. What Chuck and I did that was different than everybody else on the planet nobody i challenge anybody to prove to me that anybody before chuck norris and bob wall specialized we only paid attention to women and children we felt women and children needed martial arts more than anybody i would teach uh, the black belt class chuck would teach a kids class in the next school I would teach the kids' class, he would teach the but We love teaching kids and women. Yeah. It's my wife, 1964, we got married in 68, but she went through our first blue belt promotion. And it was different than everybody else's promotion because it wasn't about rank, it was about skill. <laughs>
Dragon Fest. Chuck Norris, greatest partner anybody could ever have. He's honest. He's hardworking. He's an amazing martial artist. And he got you in the movies, didn't he, Bob? So Bruce Lee calls him up. I'm making a movie in Rome. I want you as the bad guy. And then Chuck says, you know, Bob's Bob's coming along for the ride. Is that is that how it sort of works in a in a nutshell? Not exactly, Ben, no. but we'll clean, <laughs> we'll clean up the facts here. Yeah. We were at our Torrance school. Chuck was determined to teach me those crappy katas. I'm not a kata guy. I'm a fighter. But I had to learn Gicho Hyung, Sobu, Sangup to Basai. Anyway, we were working on Basai at that particular That was the black belt uh, form. I had to learn. I'm hating every minute of it. Anyway, we get through the workout, and Bruce had called Chuck. And Chuck Norris was Bruce Lee's favorite absolute martial artist. Even though Bruce and I trained a lot more, and I showed Bruce Lee a lot more, I taught him the crescent kicks. I have so many pictures. But anyway, he said, hey, Bruce wants me to be in a movie. I'm going to do a movie called Way of the Dragon and I'm going to Rome. And I said, you're not going without me, pal. We're 50 partners. So I paid my own way. Yeah. All right. Now, I get there on the plane. We're in coach, of course, because the budget was pretty low for Way of the Dragon. It was 250 And so, anyway, we're coach. On the flight over there, Bruce uh, Chuck says to me, do me a favor. He said, Bruce wants me to walk out ahead of the first-class passengers, and I don't know how to do that. No problem. I'll go up there, and I'll talk to the uh, head flight attendant, and I'll just say, we need a moment, you know, just to have you walk out. Because in Way of the Dragon... When Chuck Norris walks off the plane, that's exactly the plane we flew from America into. No way. Really? So I went up to the front, and I was I charmed the, the purser, the flight attendant, the hit flight attendant. And I said, look, do me a favor. We're doing a film. It's low budget. And we need this guy back here. And she didn't know who Chuck Norris was. Nobody knew he was relatively outside of martial arts. I said, he just needs to walk out and look left and right. We need 30 seconds. Can I just stay here and keep the first-class passengers back? And she looked at me and she said, okay. So that's exactly what happened. I go up to the front. Chuck follows me. And they open the door. He walks out. He looks left, looks right. That because Bruce couldn't afford, his budget couldn't afford filming that scene. Yeah. So we filmed our actual arrival. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of filming on the fly in Rome, wasn't there? Because you didn't have correct permits is that right like particularly for the coliseum like the shots that you got there were very um ad hoc or you knew someone working there or something well i arranged that yeah uh bruce, bruce's fantasy was to film in the coliseum or yeah. coliseum and and uh but it was closed for health reasons it had been closed for several years but my wife is sicilian yeah and one of her uncles used to run michigan so I made a call home, and when I found out, and I asked her if we had any connections, and she gave me a number in Sicily, and I called over there, and the next day they were over in a limo, because we're in Rome, they're in Sicily, way far away. They came up to the room with Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee and I, and they wanted a huge sum, and Bruce just said, I, I, I just don't have the budget. The whole budget was 250 mm. So they said, okay, and they left. So I walked down with him and I said, you know, my wife's uncle's Jack DeSimone. I said, is there any way you could help me out here? I said, this budget's really low. Anyway, we negotiated a low, much lower fee. And uh, I went back up and I said, hey, we can get it for blah, blah, blah. Way lower. 
done. We jumped in their limo and went to the bank, got the money, and that's how we got in the Coliseum. We got to shoot in there because all of a sudden, by magic, it wasn't closed anymore for health reasons. So we were in there alone for two weeks. It was just amazing wow. to see these little cages that Christians lived in before they died, before they went to the lions. And it was several floors in there, but we got to wander all over there. And it was an amazing lesson that Bruce gave Chuck and I right there on that sacred ground because that's when he taught us how to take punches and kicks by the string line. And it was just, I, I remember one day I was reading a book and Bruce came up to me and said, what are you doing? I'm reading a book, I'm not in the scene. You should be behind the camera. You should be telling me if this is a hit or a miss. You, I, I didn't know I could go near the camera. Yeah, you should be behind the camera. Get over here. Look here. Tell me if that's a hit or a miss. Blah, 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 blah. Well, I never sat on my butt again. <laughs> he taught us so much. The guy was a genius about film fighting. You know, he'd done 20 movies with his dad from 5 to 13. Yeah. His dad was an amazing comedic actor. A lot of people don't know that. But Bruce was brilliant, fun, funny, kind, deep, intense, hardworking, amazing, mm. handsome, chiseled. I love that kid so much. I still miss him. Freddie Prince and Steve McQueen. Those are my three favorites. I miss yeah. all three. They all got taken way too young. Freddie yeah. at 22, Bruce at 32, Elvis at 42, and Steve McQueen at 50. Yeah. Ben, this is why you must appreciate the great people in your life. Yeah. Why you got them. Yeah. Because there's a guarantee they're going to be here tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Did you just go on the flight over for a bit of a because you thought it would be you know fun to see a bit of Rome and do a bit of sightseeing or would, were you harboring an ambition to make it in the movies was it something that you know that because Bruce Lee would have been so passionate about it did it sort of rub off on you a little bit or were you not <laughs> were you just there to support Chuck no I had never I never did and never would and never will have any desire to be an actor and be in films I only wanted to go on the trip to be with Bruce and Chuck. Yeah. It just turned out that I could add a few things. And it's on that set when I taught Bruce the crescent kick, which he never knew. Yeah. And two weeks later, he says, put your hand out. Put my hand out. What? You almost broke my hand. That's a little SOB. I said, oh, my God. Bruce was so amazing. But no. Uh, years later, he asked me to do Enter the Dragon, my character, which in the script was Okata, which I'm now getting ready to sell all that stuff off. But I, I changed it. I said, look, I'm not Japanese. I'm, I'm, I'm Irish, so it's going to be O'Hara. So I yeah. made my name up. But anyway, um, called me and asked me to do the part. Now, when I got there, he said, oh, you're here. Okay, 75 a week. That's what I got. $75 a week, room and board, for doing Way of the Dragon. Wow. I was not there to be in the movie. I was there just to be with Bruce and Chuck, whom I love, both of them, very yeah. much. But he must have created a role for you then, Bob, to be in in that movie as one of the you know one of the baddies, one of the goons. Well, yeah, and the thing people don't realize, there never was a script for Way of the Dragon. Yeah, it was all Bruce Lee's head, so he made up everything daily, fight scenes, action, where it was going. Basically, a country bumpkin who doesn't speak Italian going to Italy and gets you know pushed around or attempted to be pushed around by thugs, da 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 but there was yeah. no script. Yeah. Then we went back to Hong Kong, and, uh, and there Chuck Norris got death threats from the local Hong Kong guys. And Bruce said, oh, you can't accept these. 
And of course, they didn't know I was coming, so I didn't get any death threats. And Chuck was pretty upset because Chuck Norris is one of the baddest, toughest, roughest, great men of all time. Yeah. But everybody kind of thinks he's a, you know, kind of a easy guy. But yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, I worked out with him 48 years. Nobody has ever hit me harder than Chuck Norris. The Way of the Dragon with superstar Bruce Lee as Tang Long and co-starring some of the world's greatest fighters. Chuck Norris, seven times world karate champion. Robert Wall, the 1970 number one karate professional. Wong in Sik, Korean master of Hapkido, all in The Way of the Dragon. The way you look could look at that movie is that, you know, this is the Chinese hero showing his style and the Chinese style is better than, you know, here's these Westerners who have come over and I'm going to kick their ass kind of thing. Did it feel like that at the time or were you just, you were happy to just go along with it, whatever, you know, Bruce had in his head? Well, it, for people to understand this, Bruce raised the money. Bruce yeah. was the producer. Bruce was the star. So Chuck Norris and I old-fashioned, if you're writing us a check, we should do what you want. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't feel like rocking the boat or anything then? The only time it matters what we want is when we're writing the check. Yeah. <laughs> we happily went with the opinion of how can we make it better? How can we help Bruce look better? All right? And then the fact is that there was no ego about it. But what it did was it inspired Chuck's real name is Carlos Ray Norris. Carlos Ray then got excited and, and it created a whole career for him. Yeah. So how could he possibly be resentful of losing to Bruce Lee? It wasn't a tournament. Chuck and I were both world champions, world professional champions several times. Yeah. So we, we had no resentment. But Back to the original question, no, I never had a desire then or now. As a matter of fact, after the end of the Dragon, Warner Brothers offered me a three-picture starring role, and I turned it down because my wife and I discussed it, and for a variety of reasons I don't need to go into here, but we just thought it wasn't the right career for me, and I make so much money in real estate, and the problem is when you're famous, see, fame is a double-edged sword. Hmm. I taught Elvis, Jack Pounce, Brian Keith, Paul Newman, Gustavus, Steve McCree, Freddie Prince, and Bruce, and on and on and on and on and on. And fame is really ugly up close and personal. Fans don't give you love. They give you adulation. So after a while, fame becomes wearing. So Chuck and I always used to laugh because he always said, Chuck Norris said, I want to be famous. I said, me, I just want to be famous at the bank. I don't want anybody to know me except my banker. When I walk in the bank, Mr. Wall, your vault is ready. I got what I wanted. He got what he wanted. Yeah. But I turned down a three-picture starring role. I got the same day that Jim Kelly got his. And I hired Jim Kelly for Into the Dragon. Wow. It wasn't a career for me. Okay? But you must have seen then, particularly by the time you're then in Hong Kong filming Enter the Dragon, did you notice quite a difference in Bruce Lee's personality? Had he changed quite a bit in those years with the, the fame that he'd had? He was a superstar. Um, and did you notice a change in him then? Well, yeah, there was a change, but it was only that Bruce got kinder, smarter, funnier, it was everything he dreamed of. He wanted to be famous. It worked for him. It did not work for Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris really doesn't like his fame. Yeah. He's, it's wearing. But Bruce loved it. Now, I don't know how it would have been 10 years later, 
But no, he actually, Bruce loved it. He's one of the few celebrities. Um, Elvis didn't like it. Steve McQueen didn't like it. Um, Brian Keith, Paul Newman. So many of my students did not like it. But mm. Bruce Lee was the exception. He loved it. It was perfect for him. His, his, his ego was so in place. He knew who he was. And uh, so he's the one exception, I think, that really, really enjoyed that fame. But bear in mind, he only got that film, the fame, maximum three years during his life. Yeah. So after a while, I mean, Chuck Norris lives way out in the boonies where it's hard to get to him. Yeah. Where did he go after the June Reef funeral? He had to leave immediately. I went out and signed 2,000 autographs and took 2,500 pictures. Well, I don't mind that, okay, because then I can leave and nobody knows who I am. But Chuck Norris can't leave because everybody knows who he is. Yeah. One of my big shopping centers here in Tarzana, California, has four restaurants. And I went to all the owners and I said, when Chuck and I come in, or if he comes by himself or with his family, do not let anybody bother him. Let him eat his meal. Let him go to the bathroom. Afterwards, he'll sign autographs and take pictures. Okay, give him some respect. Yeah. And I remember Steve McQueen telling me, the last autograph he signed, he was in an airport trying to catch a plane, ran into the urinal, and was standing there doing his business, and a guy runs up with a pad and says, can you give me an autograph? <laughs> well, I'm a little busy right now, and I'm, but i got to catch a plane. So fans sometimes don't realize that you're a real human on a schedule, and you really don't want to sign an autograph with your equipment in your hand. No. You'd prefer to wash your hands first. So, yeah. <laughs> but fame, for my money, my fame is perfect. I have the perfect fame on earth. In the wake of Bruce Lee's death, you know, there was a lot of Bruce Lee spin-off movies. There's a lot of movies that sort of trade on Bruce Lee's name and image. Uh, were you offered, you must have been offered in Hong Kong, you must have been offered movies like that after Enter the Dragon. Many, many, yeah. many, many. I turned them all down. Because first of all, most of them were crap projects. Yeah, I only I did I did twenty six Walkers. I did twelve of Chuck's films. Yeah, the films I've done are for my friends Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee, and I did appear in and stunt coordinate Black Belt Jones. Uh, Jim Kelly was a good friend. I loved the kid. Did a great job in Into the Dragon, and I stunt coordinated his film Black Belt Jones. Mm. But then they offered me another one, and I said no, thank you. You know, I'm making ten to twelve grand a week. It stunt coordinating then paid seventeen hundred a week, so I hired Pat Johnson, one of my black belts. Yeah. But to each their own. We all have to decide. You must attend the morning ritual in uniform. Outside. You must be incredibly pr proud of Enter the Dragon and the work that you did in that film. I mean, it's 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 such an iconic role, isn't it? Do you do you have you do you watch it much? Like, do you go do you go back and put it on? It must be on. It's on telly all the time, isn't it? You know, I haven't watched it in twenty five years. But what happens is, I do these Bruce Lee seminars, and almost everybody plays a little clip of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I but what I'm really proud of is Bruce Lee. Because the poor guy got cut short 32 years. The guy was such a genius. He, I wish he was here today. But, yeah, I'm proud to have been in it, to have been a part of it. But it was a Bruce Lee movie. And, and Bruce is a legend. He deserved to be the legend. He created it. He, he and Freddie Weintraub, without those two, and we just lost Freddie, yeah. 
Freddie was brilliant. Without Freddie Weintraub, there would have been no Enter the Dragon. He was a genius, another genius. So two geniuses got together and for $850,000 produced the second highest grossing film in martial art in, in, in Warner Brothers history yeah. and number one highest grossing movie in martial arts history. So 44 years later, nobody has been able to outgross Enter the Dragon. So that nice. shows genius of Freddie Weintraub and Bruce Lee, both, God bless them, they're in heaven somewhere. But yeah, I was just proud to be in that company. You took some hits as well <laughs> in that movie. Well, you know, I perfected, I'm the one on earth, I perfected how to take punches and kicks. And yeah. so Bruce and I were really close. We trained for almost 11 years. And he knew my thing was I had perfected how to take punches and kicks. So before every scene, because we were close, close, close friends, he said, well, I'm going to break something. Ah, you little Chinaman, you can't break anything. So my favorite picture of it is Bruce and I at the end of the movie. Uh, Dave Friedman took this brilliant photo of, um, he was the Warner Brothers official photographer, Bruce and I hugging each other. So it's sideways. So we don't sell near as many as the one of us facing the camera, but it said everything because you had to shoot the scenes five or six or seven times. But Bruce and I knew full impact full contact yeah. when you're trying to knock the crap out of somebody you can't beat the reaction because it's real yeah yeah and i think that there is a level of like authenticity in bruce lee's fight scenes particularly with yourself bob um you know and that's in way of the dragon it's in that fight with o'hara and enter the dragon as well that they, they feel very visceral it's very hard hitting and it's completely different to the type of movies that, that were being made around that time early 70s it was unheard of to see a fight scene like that so do you put that down to the fact that you had that relationship with bruce which was very uh uh, physical wasn't it and it was that was the way you trained yeah we were training partners we were professional fighters who could take it yeah and did it because we wanted this to be the best martial arts film of all time and you know what in my opinion we did it yeah absolutely the second best film was game of death yeah <laughs> which you were in my locker room scene with bruce and i part of it's real bruce a lot of dummies don't realize it but i could show you yeah we took it out the original uh, game of death but the fact is in my opinion the three greatest martial arts fight films are chuck norris and way of the dragon with bruce bob wall within the dragon with bruce and bob wall with bruce lee and game of death there and they are the three highest grossing martial arts films of all time yeah huh what's yeah. the commonality yeah <laughs> lee, chuck norris bob wall yeah you don't need to make any more martial arts movies bob you've already been in the best ones well, you know, it's like having a great parent or yeah. a great child, a great wife or husband. When you've got, you've been in with the best, you just have to say, thank you, God. Don't think. Feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. Do you remember hearing about his death? Where where were you when you heard about it? Yeah, we were, I was with Freddie Weintraub, and we were up at a college in West L.A. We were filming Black Belt Jones uh, fight scenes, and Linda called us. We went to the phone. Freddie took the phone. And Bruce Lee, one of the greatest martial artists, one of the greatest athletes of all time, was the worst effing driver of all time. <laughs> he said, Bruce died. And I went, car accident. 
he goes, car accident? Linda goes, no, they don't know. He just passed out. But I, he would be driving, and I would shove his face, he would be turning, looking at you, and I'd shove his face to the road. And he'd turn to you, and I'd shove his face to the road. So wow. I was sure he got killed in a car accident. But no, that's where I was, and it was a sad day. And you know what? 44 years later, I could still cry. That's how much I love Bruce Lee. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just such a, well, just so young as well. It's just so tragic when anyone so young loses their life anyway. But just because he's on the cusp there, isn't he? He's literally at the moment in his career that, you know, he had been training and working so so hard to achieve. And it's literally within weeks, you know, it's within his grasp, isn't it? It's so yeah. sad. And it was July 23rd when he died. And the film Into the Dragon did not come out until August 15th. So he didn't even get to live to see it. Yeah. It's just tragic. So when I do the seminars all over the world, hopefully someday in England or Ireland, I tell them all. I said, you guys all love Bruce Lee because he was the first brilliant, handsome, talented martial artist to marry martial arts to ballet on screen. And he had the charisma to carry it off. But if you took away his martial arts skills, you'd love to hang with him because he was kind, he was fun, he was funny, and he was absolutely brilliant. So yeah, the career he could have had, but I have to focus on, thank God, we got him, as long as we did, five films, and then his son got to do five films, so thank God. You remained close with the Lee family then, after he after he passed? You, you, you still remain quite close to them? Absolutely. I told Linda right away, I said, Linda, I will always be here for you and Bruce. And a lot of his advanced students blew out because he's dead. He can't do me any more good. Nope. We're very, very, very close to this day. Yes. Matter of fact, I had an Enter the Dragon party at my house a few years ago, two months before Jim Kelly died. Yeah. I realized we'd been at the uh, uh, Academy Awards. And all of us, everybody in the cast and crew had been there to answer questions to about a thousand Academy members. And we signed autographs up the butt, of course, for free. Yeah. And I decided to have an Enter the Dragon party. So I had everybody, underline, capitalize, everybody, come to my home. I said, bring all the posters you want. I set up, I have a big home, big mansion, and I set up a big room. And I had everybody, including Linda and Shannon Lee, everybody came. Freddie Weintraub, Lalo Schifrin, everybody. And Freddie Weintraub, of course. And Jim Kelly, the last things he signed were at my house at the end of the dragon park so we've got i still got about a half a dozen of those posters signed by everybody from linda lee to to uh, jim kelly to me to freddie weintraub and that was really important to all of us so we at least the families got one poster signed by everybody if he was still around now what do you think he would um what do you think he would have done first of all he was very kind and very bright he was always way ahead of everybody about almost everything film fighting wise he would have produced some amazing martial arts films and if, if, if it's 44 years later and you still can't find anybody to beat him imagine what he would have done so yeah. it's prime against nature because he's the first asian man to become a worldwide leading man and i go all over the world i've been over 100 countries i like to spread the word bruce can't talk anymore so i get to talk for him yeah he, he was a genius he was ahead of his time and I can't even imagine the things that brilliant brain would have spurted forth. Yeah. But it would have been martial arts magic on film. So I look back and just say, you know, how lucky can I get? I leave home at 13 with $2.58. By 25, I'm worth a couple mil. 
I'm yeah. married 49 years to the love of my life. I got to know and train Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, Brian Keith, Paul Newman, Oki Summer, Steve McQueen, Freddie, all these celebrities. I taught three presidents in and out of the White House, Ford, Reagan, and, and Bush Sr. I've lived the most blessed life of any human alive because of the martial arts. And Bruce Lee did as well. We all had our challenges, but then we had our victories. And it was yeah. all thanks to martial arts. But he was a true martial artist. He was just an amazing man. Yeah. I am so proud to just have been his friend. Bob, I can't let you go without talking a little bit about Alvis. Uh, <laughs> I hope you don't mind. Your connections to Alvis, can you just explain that a, a, a little bit? Because you say that you, you you taught Alvis and Priscilla, is that yeah, right? Yeah, Priscilla's actually one of Chuck Norris's and my red blows. Fantastic, yes. And so, you know, we uh, loved Elvis and Priscilla. You know, Priscilla's raised her kids at my house. Yeah. But Elvis was a wonderful guy. Um, quite different than his public image, because I remember resentfully when I was in high school, 55, 56, and I graduated in 57, when Elvis was just really coming up. And Elvis was evil. Every preacher yeah. I've heard said he was evil. But his whole center was gospel music. Yeah. So he came from the religious music. He was a soul music guy, but he realized his skills all came from gospel. So anytime we were at his house, he rented a house in Malibu. He rented a house, I mean, in Beverly Hills, rather, and a house in uh, Palm Springs. The only home he owned was Graceland. But anytime you were at the house with him, he wanted to sing gospel. He didn't want to do his popular tunes. He was a real good Christian man. Yeah. And he was into the martial arts. He studied and he was into it, wasn't he? It wasn't like, it wasn't for show. No, he actually made black belt with a guy named Art Shemansky when he was in the army. Yeah. And then I saw him. And, uh, you know, he, uh, we kind of improved his skill set a bit. Um, but, yeah, he actually invited Chuck Norris and I to his grand opening, 1968, at the International Hotel. And he sat us ringside. Behind us was Frank Sinatra. Wow. And the only four people in that entire room, which held 2,200 people, Rowan and Martin, I mean, you name it, every celebrity from Mamie Van Dorn, they were all there sitting behind us. And the only two people he introduced all night was Chuck and I. <laughs> really? There's the greatest crowd of people, da, 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 da. And he had Joe, his road manager, take us back. And we spent several hours. His dad was the bartender, and it was amazing. He just was a fabulous guy. But yes, if you just imagine, six years out of high school, I'm teaching Elvis, and he was just a great man. I loved him. It's like Bruce. I miss him. Is there something that you spot in the people that you teach? Is there something that that you can notice in someone that's, where you can be like, yeah, they're going to be a great fighter one day. They've got the discipline. What do you need to have to, to, to make it as a good martial artist? Well, you know, not everybody wants to be a world champion. Yeah. Each person gets what they want or need out of it. Bruce Lee needed to be the best film fighter. He became that. Chuck Norris became needed to become the greatest karate fighter. He got that. Mm. So Elvis was an entertainer, and he really helped martial arts. He actually produced a film about fighters yeah he wrote a script he wrote a martial arts film didn't he I, I remember seeing it um i don't know if that's in gracelands but there's a script somewhere that alvis wrote that he was trying to get off the ground like a martial arts film that's right isn't it he actually produced a film yeah all uh, right 
martial arts film, but he loved martial arts, but it wasn't like music was his passion. Yeah. Chuck Norris's passion was fighting and being a good Christian. Bruce Lee's passion was being the greatest film fighter. Steve McQueen was on the murder list from the Manson group. So he wanted to protect himself and he became a bad mother. Yeah. One year of training, he was, could have gone into competition and succeeded, maybe not, but he would kick your ass in the street. Same with Freddie Prince. I mean, I knocked out Freddie a couple of times. The ninth month I'm training him, he split my eye open. Wow. And he ran out of the house and got a towel and came back out and sopped the blood. And he left his bag and he jumped in his blue Corvette and he raced home. And about 45 minutes later, his wife calls me and who's still a family friend like Linda is. And she's, you know what that crazy Freddie's doing? I said, what that crazy Freddie doing? I know he left his bag here and he, he left before the class is over. He's making a frame. He's writing on it. This is Bob Wall's blood. Well, that's what makes me proud because he wanted to be a tough guy and he became a tough guy. So good. I introduced him to Muhammad Ali and he got to spar with Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. Wow. So, yeah, each person kind of gets what they want out of it. So just quickly, so World Black Belts, that's your sort of current uh, project at the moment then, is it? Well, uh, 53 founding members, Chuck Norris, Gene LaBelle, Joe Lewis, uh, Don the Dragon Wilson, Cynthia Rothrock, Kathy Long, a bunch of us, 53 of us, started it years ago, kind of as a gift back to martial artists. And we had a lot of people for years, they said, well, we can't join, we're not a black belt. I said, well, should we change the name to World White Belt? Would you join that? Yeah. Well, Okay, it's for anybody who admires or aspires to be a black belt. And we have the black belt credit card. We have KO Fitness Strength. We have discounts. We have 3,700 products. If you go to Bob Wall with an S, worldblackbelt.com, you'll see 3,700 products. We give discounts. So the idea is they can communicate. They get an email, and it could be Bob Wall at worldblackbelt.com, Chuck Norris at worldblackbelt.com, Ben Johnson at worldblackbelt.com. Yeah. And Nobody has to wonder what your email is. They just put in your name at World Black Belt. So it's an amazing communication vehicle. And it's the largest martial arts organization in the world. And you're still fighting fit. You're feeling good. I know you're saying you're 78, but um, you're, you're feeling good. Heart rate of 52 and I'm ready to fight anybody, anywhere, anytime. Got the money. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. You take care. Have a blessed day. Bob Wall there, amazing stuff. I do hope you enjoyed that. That was a real treat for me, and I, I, I do hope that you enjoyed listening to that too. Some additional Bob Wall information that I didn't mention earlier. He will be appearing at this year's Urban Action Showcase. He will be appearing as part of a 45th anniversary screening of Enter the Dragon. He'll be on hand to conduct an exclusive seminar as well as signing autographs, taking photos and that sort of thing. The event will take place on the 10th of November this year, 2018, at the AMC Empire 25 in New York City. Find out more info by visiting urbanactionshowcase.com. We just need to get hold of Chuck Norris now somehow, don't we? So uh, that would be great. Do you think that could happen? Do you think we can make that happen? I don't know. Bob, maybe you could set up that call if you're listening. Chuck, maybe you're listening. Drop us a line, hello at kungfumuguide.com. 
hey who knows you got to put the vibes out there you never know listen thank you so much for listening to this episode of the show thank you to george dennis for your ongoing technical support and thank you also for making it all the way to the end of the episode that's uh, dedication thank you so much uh, i will be back with another episode of the podcast in two weeks time until then check out the websites comfymovieguy.com sign up to the newsletter to win some free stuff and drop me a line hello at kungfumovieguide.com okay until next time take good care foo followers and I will see you on the next episode of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast thank you bye for now Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.